I will say the first week was totally fine up until uh, Friday the 13th. Of course, course, Friday the 13th. Hey everyone, before we dive into this evening's episode, I just wanted to give a quick warning because we're a Disney-focused podcast and you might have little ones in the car or in the room with you listening to us week to week, which we absolutely love. But this evening's podcast, like Soul, is going to deal with some adult topics because we're going to be talking to a cruiser who was on the Coral Princess on its last sailing prior to the COVID shutdown. And so there might be some themes in here that are not appropriate for younger listeners, including themes around sort of folks getting really sick and potentially dying. And so we just want to let you know that before you start listening, so you can take some appropriate precautions if you so choose. With that, on to our show. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast. And this week, like in some other weeks, we're bringing you a bit of a different kind of show. The show tonight is not going to be focused on Disney Cruise Line, but we're bringing you more of a general cruising topic, but one that we are, I don't want to use the word excited based on the topic, but one that we're really interested in bringing to the community that we've grown here. I want to start by welcoming our guest, Christine, to the show. Christine was on a 32 day cruise out of Santiago, Chile aboard the Coral Princess. And Christine has a really unique perspective on her experience, her cruise and sailing with COVID because her ship was one of the ones that experienced a COVID outbreak there at the end before cruising ceased. So we are really interested to hear and tell Christine's story. But let me start by saying, Christine, welcome and thank you for coming on. Thank you, Brian. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. We're really excited, as Brian said, to talk to you because this is it's, it's fascinating. Obviously, what happened is, of course, tragic when you know the world as we know it changed back in late February, early March, and these cruise ships got hit with COVID outbreaks. But it's it's certainly something interesting to us because it, of course, changed all of our all of us who love cruising. It changed our world. It shut down the cruising industry completely. I meant to say up front, too, that we learned of Christine's story through Paul Thornton, who we've had on the show prior. Paul is the author of The Joy of Cruising, and he has a sequel to that book coming out called Cruising Interrupted. Christine's story is also featured in that book. So if you want to learn more about it, you can certainly pick up a copy of Cruising Interrupted to learn more about Christine's story. Before we dive into our topic this evening, we always like to start with our guests' backgrounds. And in this case, Christine is not a Disney cruiser. So we would just want to start with her general cruising background. So Christine, what kinds of cruises have you taken? How many have you been on? What lines have you sailed? Talk to us about kind of just your general background as a cruiser. Well, unfortunately, I haven't been able to experience Disney as of yet. The ships that I've been on, the lines that I've been on are not that numerous. I've been on Princess, Royal Caribbean, one Norwegian. I've been on a couple of uh, different lines for river cruises. I've been on Viking and Ama Waterways. And I really can't tell you how many cruises I've been on. It must be in the 30s. I really didn't start cruising until I retired in 2014, so only six years ago. So I've been uh, pretty active in order to get all those cruises in in that time. I typically do about five cruises a year. Wow. I was immediately addicted, you can tell. (laughs) 
And and it sounds like you do kind of the the longer length cruises. Is that your preference? It is now. I started off with many seven days. My first one was way back when, when my children are small, and my son is now 50, so I'm, I'm talking way back, 40 years ago or whatever. I started with a seven-week Caribbean, and then uh, maybe 30 years ago, my husband and I went on a seven-day Caribbean, and he hated it, so cruising stopped. <laughs> and, uh, at, actually, in uh, 2014, I begged him if we could go on an Alaskan cruise. A few years before that, I had been diagnosed with lung cancer, as is often the case when one hears that you have cancer, you kind of go through a little mental bucket list. And on my bucket list was an Alaskan cruise. He really couldn't deny me that opportunity. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we did take off on the on the seven day, and then maybe for once once a year after that, he would go on a cruise with me. The last one was in 2017. We, we went on a 18 day that started in Dubai and went underneath the Arabian Peninsula up the Red Sea through the Mediterranean and ended up in Venice. And we had uh, four different alphabets. Every time we got off the ship, there was a different alphabet. So <laughs> I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And we got off the ship and he said, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> wow. At that time, I started cruising myself and then I started on the longer ones. And I have to say, I'm, I'm rather disappointed that the CDC has said no more than seven days up until November 1 of 2021, because I love the Transatlantics. In 2020 and 2021, I've had 11 cruises canceled, and three of those have been transatlantics. Well, let's shift over to our topic for this evening, which is the sailing that you're on, Christine, with the Princess Coral. Why don't we start by giving our listeners just a little bit of background on what that sailing was supposed to look like. Christine, do you want to tell folks the sailing that you were on and how long it was supposed to be and where it was supposed to go, those sorts of things? Sure. It was considered to be two back-to-back trips. So there were people who were getting off halfway through, and then there were those of us. I was one who was continuing on for 32 days. And we left on March 5th from Santiago, Chile. We traveled south through the glaciers and the fjords and went underneath Cape Horn, then came up the west coast. The intention for the those on the 14 day was to get off at Buenos Aires. Others were coming on board and joining those of us on the 32 day, which was then leaving Buenos Aires, stopping in some more ports in South America, traveling through the Caribbean and ending up in Fort Lauderdale on April 6th. That was the intention. So Christine, I'm curious, the size of the ship, the Coral Princess, like how many passengers were on board with you? Well, there were about 2,000. The The ship holds about 2,300 passengers, but we were not full. At one point, it was totally booked, but there were some people who were having fears of COVID and apparently dropped out. Yeah. And so that, that, that raises a good question. What was the news like around COVID as you sort of headed into this cruise? Going into it, I was not concerned. I had a friend who begged me not to go. But at that mm-hmm. point, I left Boston on March 3rd. And at that point, I think I think it was only up there in Seattle that there were some cases in the U.S. So I got on the plane in Boston with absolutely no qualms at all. There was one case reported in the entire continent of South America when I boarded that plane. 
on the trip down, we heard that there was another case, and it, it had been reported at Santiago, where we were landing. So when we landed, people were in hazmat suits, and I thought it was just such a contrast to what I had just left in Boston, where nothing was happening. And just on the amount of the time it took to fly down there, the world had started changing. I, I still wasn't really concerned. I still felt that we were pretty safe in South America, that these two cases were people who had come over from Europe. They checked our passports when we checked in at the cruise line. They checked our passports to make sure we hadn't been to certain countries. I don't remember if they took our temperatures or not, but we had to fill out a health form and then we were on our way. Now, were you sailing on your own this time or were there any friends with you? I was sailing on my own. Through cruisecritic.com, I always sign up for the roll call. And so I had met a number of people online. And in fact, that's what that was the first thing I did was I went and met a couple that I had met online. Immediately had some friends. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's a a really good tip, actually, for people who are, are cruising solo. There are lots of different online resources. We know with Disney Cruise Line, people join Facebook groups. So that's sort of the way that happens. This was a very active roll call. (laughs) It was a long itinerary, so we had a lot of things to talk about. When you talked about the fear, or not the fear, but the concern, I guess, about getting on the ship, I want to just back up a minute and say a week before I went, so at the end of February, most of our talk had been, do we get the yellow fever shot or not? We weren't talking about COVID really at all on the on this on these chats. So I decided to make an appointment at, at a well-known facility, a hospital outside of Boston here at the infectious diseases clinic. I went and talked to the nurse and we talked for maybe about an hour. I don't believe COVID or coronavirus came up once. Our discussion was all about the yellow fever. I mean, to be fair, we were at Disneyland at this point in time, and sort of the yeah. public health message was wash your hands and, yeah. you know, use hand sanitizer. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I were in your position, I would have thought anything of it either. Well, one other detail I'm curious about, Christine, is sort of uh, what kind of cabin were you sailing in? I was in um, what they call a balcony on Princess. That it's called ver- Veranda on, on other lines. That probably came in handy later. It did. However, I will say that once we were ordered to cabin quarantine, once it was discovered people were sick, by that point, we, and I'll get to how this happened, but we were down to about a thousand people on the ship. So everybody was moved to a balcony, whether you were in an ocean view or inside. And in fact, they moved a lot of crew members up to balconies as well. Well, fast forward, I guess, a little bit. At what point in your itinerary did you start to hear more about COVID? What was the information you were hearing and being given and how are you getting it? So at what point did it become more of a concern on the ship, I guess? I will say the first week was totally fine up until uh, Friday the 13th. Of course. of course, Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth of March. It was a it was a beautiful cruise. It was fun. There was very little fear. We started hearing through online sources, people on Facebook or, or chatting with family at home, that people had started hoarding toilet paper, <laughs> and and we we chuckled. We said, well, <laughs> if the if the virus is going to hit, that's the wrong end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe stock up on the Kleenex. You know, I, when I think of our mindset back then, it was just, it just blows my mind how quickly things changed. But our biggest concern at that point was, are we going to get into the Falkland Islands? Because apparently the chances of getting into the Falkland Islands historically are not great. And that's where the penguins were. And, and most of us wanted to see penguins. In fact, a lot of us were on this cruise just so we could see penguins. <laughs> 
I've <laughs> gone to the Boston Aquarium and done that for a whole lot of effort. And money. Um, fortunately, we did get into the Falkland Islands, and I did get to see the penguins, and that was thrilling. And that was Friday the 13th of March. And we got back to the ship, and the captain announced that we should turn on our TVs and listen to an announcement from the president of Princess Cruises. He didn't go into what she was saying. He just asked us to do that. And she said that they had made the decision that cruising was going to terminate. Those who are already on cruises would seek the closest convenient port for people to disembark to go home. The, the captain announced uh, that we weren't going to be able to get into the next port, which was Puerto Madryn in Argentina. And uh, when he announced that evening, we weren't going to be able to go there. The next days started, I think it was probably the next day on, on the uh, 14th, that we were directed to buy an airline ticket from Montevideo, Uruguay. And then it turned out we weren't allowed in there. So during this period from, I say, the, the 13th of March until oh, the 18th of March, there was an awful lot of anxiety. Just five days of, of a lot of anxiety where we were going to go. We were being asked to buy airline tickets from this port. Then we couldn't get in. And so then our airline tickets were just there. And then uh, eventually we were told we're going to, to Buenos Aires and everybody, the cruise will be ending there and everybody is to leave, which is what the 14-day people were intended to do anyway. Uh, so to buy a ticket from Buenos Aires, after I bought that ticket, I believe I had about $7,000 worth of airline tickets. I was not alone. People were just, their credit cards were being racked up because they weren't going to let us off the ship unless we had a confirmed reservation, is what the thing was. Now, at this point on the ship, nobody's confined to their rooms. There's still activities going on. There's still a buffet happening. There's still normal sit-down meals. So yep. all of those things, you just can't leave the ship. That's right. That's right. Everything was was proceeding as normal, except there was this anxiety. There were a lot of people who were having meetings by their country, let's say. Uh, so the UK people would have meetings every day and say, we need to get the embassy to do this. We need to get the captain to do that. One day I walked by the pool and I saw a lot of people sitting there just reading. And I said, you know, I think I want, I would rather be those people than the ones that I've been hanging around with. I just absolutely had to surrender and accept the fact that there was nothing I can do and just put my faith in Princess Cruises and in the captain that they would do what they could do. I mean, they, certainly they wanted us to be safe as well. I'm, I'm curious. So we're, t we're talking now about like we, what you're like seven to 10 days into this cruise and the first week or so is fairly normal. And now you've got this like five day period where things are getting a little less normal, but things are, you know, the ship is kind of, it's not docked anywhere. So I'm curious, things are normal on the ship, but are they like, are they getting resupplied? Are they running out of things? Is, you know, are dinners looking a little bit different? Like, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, we were told they were out of a few things and we didn't realize it, but they were getting very low. It turned out we, we heard that crew members were not getting a very, very good selection of food. They didn't want the passengers to know this, be affected. So they, they changed, uh, you know, they'd say, oh, we've just run out of that or something like this. But it wasn't obvious at all until we 
we docked into Buenos Aires. And I guess, what were you hearing from the crew, if anything at all, at this point? Were, were they being very open about their own concerns? No, they were, they were very positive. Everything's going to be fine. Of course, at guest services, the lines were, you could stand in line for about two hours, probably. A lot of people wanting help with uh, an airline reservation, or do I even buy one? Or now what am I going to, you know, a lot to do with the transportations or one thing or another. And they brought a lot of officers out to come through the line to answer maybe, you know, a simple question that we had that didn't pertain to something that they were, they needed the computers, you know, and, and a lot of people were just down there to, to voice their concerns. And the officers who came around and talked in line said, everything's going to be fine. We're going, now we're going to Buenos Aires, you know, you buy your ticket from Buenos Aires, the cruise will be over and everything will be fine. I wonder, I wonder if that, if they were saying those things because they really believed them or if they were being told we don't want everybody on the ship to panic, right? That could be like the worst thing. If the guests outnumber the crew members on board by a lot, right? So they really don't want to deal with people in panic. I truly believe that they believed it. We we all really believed that the cruise was coming to an end in Buenos Aires. Well, yeah, so, so that's my next question is you pull into Buenos Aires. I already know where this story goes. Our listeners know, but you pull into Buenos Aires. What happens we pulled in on the 18th and we had been told by the captain that we could not disembark until the 19th because by that time we'll have been 14 days together as a healthy ship. And so we will have met a quarantine period. The government of, of Argentina made that as part of the requirement. So we pulled in on the 18th and spent the night there. At some time around midnight, it was announced that the health officials from Argentina were coming on board at about 3.30 in the morning to take our temperatures and to expect a knock on your door. I tried to stay awake and I never got a knock that I'm aware of, but I know a few hundred did get them. But I also heard that they realized this was an impossible feat to try to get the 2,000 people that were on board to get temperatures from everybody. Come the night, the, the morning of the 19th, I had a ticket for a flight at four o'clock. So I had a reservation to go on the 10 o'clock bus. We had to wait for the immigration officials to clear us. The way they were clearing people, they let all the Argentines off first because we were now we were in Argentina, so they allowed them off. And then nothing was happening. We were in our meeting places. We were supposed to be leaving at 10. And by 1 o'clock, we still had not been cleared. And at that point, I kind of gave up. I said, well, if I was supposed to be on a flight, at, a bus at 9, and nobody said anything by 1, I give up. We had been told that we were going to be staying in Buenos Aires until we could all get off. I heard them announce the Swiss, all Swiss, please come. It turns out the Swiss embassy had called and they had a plane waiting for them. I heard all those on Air Canada flight such and such. The Canadians had been in close contact with their consulate or embassy, whatever, and the embassy had convinced Air Canada to hold the plane until whatever hour that these people got off the ship. Wow. Basically, when it got down to it, at the end, we were mostly people from the UK and Americans, Australians and New Zealand, and then a few a few others that were from India and South, other parts in South America as well. So at some point, there must have been an announcement, I'm guessing, that Americans just weren't cleared to disembark. Is that what happened? 
never that blatant. They would call flight numbers, and they, every, the immigration people knew what flight what flights we were all on, and they all had our passports as well. They had had them at one point. We had, we now had our passports back again, but they knew who was on what flight. And then it was announced that everybody who had an airline ticket for a flight from 7 p.m. that day until 7 a.m. the next day were to take a bus, and they were going to have to spend the night at the airport for those early morning flights. There were a number of early morning flights. The rest of us were to buy an airline ticket for <laughs> the next day. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> and, um, yeah, at the, at, the, at the end of this saga, we need to ask you how many airline tickets you had. <laughs> but, yeah. I, haven't actually to- I haven't actually totaled them up. I've been scared to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Those people left the ship, and I was sitting at dinner with with my friends. I hung around mostly with, uh, there were three other singles traveling solo from England that I was with most of the time. Great people, very funny people. They ended up being my saviors (laughs) when I was in quarantine. But we were having dinner, and then we noticed that the buses were coming back. These these are the buses that had the people who were supposedly flying between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m.? Correct. And then it was announced, maybe a couple of hours later, that Argentina had decided to close their borders at midnight. And if we didn't get out, then we would not be able to leave port for at least two weeks with minimal provisions. They had taken all of the suitcases of those of us who had airline tickets for the for the 19th as well. And so we were told that our suitcases would be coming back in and that we were to take them and sit tight. But the captain announced that he had called back all the people who were at the airport because they were not going to be able to get out and he wasn't going to abandon them. It involved some risk because now people out there that perhaps they could be infecting what was previously thought to be a healthy ship. I was one of the few people who was very happy that he did that. A lot of people were saying, no, don't let them on. So now we were about 1,000, I think 1,026 on the ship. Captain said, we are pulling out of here before midnight. Then he said, we're heading to Montevideo, which was one of our missed ports. He said, we have to stop for supplies. This is when we were told that we were short on everything, fuel, food, uh, everything. The government of Uruguay has has said we can disembark and fly out of there. So buy an airline ticket from Montevideo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, if you want to get off tomorrow or the next day. This is on the 19th. We got out before midnight, and it was on the 22nd that we were in Montevideo. We sat in port, and we got supplies, and we waited for them to clear us off, and they never did. Did they tell you where they were going to take you next or or where... Not at this point. I, I think it was the, maybe the next day the captain came on and said, we're heading to Rio de Janeiro, and we've been told that we'll be able to get in there and get off the ship, so buy a ticket from Rio. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, I decided not to buy any more tickets, and, and, and I had truthfully now become very discouraged. I just didn't think we were going to, that Rio was going to let us in either. All the countries closing their borders. Right. I mean, if uh, Argentina wouldn't take you, then Uruguay wouldn't take you. Why would Brazil take you? Right. I mean, that sort of becomes your your thought process as you're heading 
up the East Coast. Which is what happened. So we pulled into outside of Rio and we were waiting for the, the pilot to come on board to bring us into port. And we just sat there for maybe three hours. We could see Christ the Redeemer. You know, if you put your camera on telephoto, you could get a photo of it. And we were just waiting. And the captain came on and said pilot was not going to come. And we were not being allowed to even enter their waters. Oh, wow. So no restocking or refueling even in Brazil. No, I'm sorry. I have to back up a day or two, I think, because I think by now he had announced we were going to Florida, but we were going to try Rio first. That's one of the reasons I didn't buy a Rio ticket. I just said, I was supposed to end up in Florida. I have a ticket home from Florida. I'm just going to Florida as it is anyway. <laughs> people who were due to get off at Buenos Aires, now I, w- I was starting to relax. Those poor people now became very tense because they could see that they weren't going to be getting home for 17, 18 days past the time they were due home, they, of course, had to spend their time trying to make arrangements back home of taking care of all of these things that needed to be taken care of. At that time, they had actually taken the name cruise off the trip. It was now called transportation. That meant a whole lot of things changed. Not being a crew, a cruise that they were now able to take away some amenities. Well, for one thing, we didn't get charged the, the gratuities anymore. So that was a good thing. Wow, that's like a kick in the that's like a kick in the teeth to the crew a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped and we stopped entertainment. We stopped everything on the on the thirty first. We were basically having a good time, even though they had taken the term cruise off. We were being served meals as normal. We a lot of the passengers started doing sharing some of their talents. So. One couple were Tai Chi experts, and they put on Tai Chi lessons, I think, almost daily, which were extremely popular. Another couple from Canada were psychiatrists, and they they put on a couple of sessions about stress management. <laughs> oh, gosh. Which was very timely. The cruise director was giving ukulele lessons. He had a, a somehow he had ukuleles for everybody who wanted to learn how to play the ukulele. Oh, and the crew, the crew put on a talent show, which was absolutely hysterical. Well, so I'm, I'm curious, Christine, to f- uh, maybe fast forward a little bit here is at what point, so at some point, the ship actually does report COVID cases. What point did that happen? Well, that was not until a couple of days we actually, before we pulled into port, but on March 31st, so we had left Buenos Aires, so we had left the last people on the 19th. We had been playing around until the 31st, when the captain reported that a number of people have been showing up in sick bay. If any of you have these symptoms, blah, 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 please come down to sick bay. That was in the morning of the 31st. By lunchtime, he came on and said, there have been so many people that are coming in, we have to send you to cabin quarantine. That was the first indication that something was going on that was probably not neurovirus. It's probably April 1st, he reported we were going to be stopping in our Barbados for supplies, for medical supplies, I believe he said. Turns out that's when they not only dropped off COVID samples, they dropped off 13 COVID samples. People on the side of the ship who could see, there was an ambulance there and they took a passenger off. Turns out that passenger, we later found out, was airlifted from Barbados to Florida, where he later died of COVID. How awful. Yeah, we didn't know that on time. You know, there were rumors all going around because now we're in our cabins. 
So it wasn't easy to talk to people, but I was talking to my British friends all the time through WhatsApp. And I, and, and this couple I met at the first day that I was on the ship, they were getting a lot of information as well. So we were communicating as, as best we could. The internet had been open now for everybody free of charge, as had the bars, you know, bar service. You could just call down and get whatever you wanted for from the bar for free. You know, you, you're supposed to have a couple more days at that point, right? Right. We were due in on the 4th, but by now we had heard... Fort Lauderdale didn't want us. So I, I had a very poignant picture of this man when we were pulling out of Rio. This, I was sitting, on, I was standing on the aft deck balcony all by myself as we were pulling out. And this man came out and he started pounding on his chest and he said, Muelo Brazil. And he pointed and he was, the tears came down and it turned out, you know, that was his, his country had turned back on him. He couldn't get off mm-hmm. his own country. And as I left, I left him alone. And I looked through the porthole of the door that I had just come through, and I saw that he had dropped to his knees and he was praying. This poor man, you know, he knew he was going to America. He had, he didn't have the documentation. Who knows what was going through his mind or when he'd ever get back there. So at the beginning of April, when it became obvious that we were, that Fort Lauderdale was not going to let us in because Holland America was having two ships come in right before us and they didn't want to overtax their health system. I had the same feelings as this man did. I said, now my own country's turning my back on me. We had had so many countries turn their backs on us. And it was just, it was the most horrible feeling and not knowing then what was going to happen. Because by now, beginning of April, we knew we knew the virus wasn't going to be gone in a couple of weeks. Right. It had already been in the U.S. really for almost a month at that point. Right. I think it was mid-March that the pandemic was called officially. Previously, we had said, you know, we'll just keep us on this healthy ship and until it blows over and everybody has their toilet paper, then let us go and we'll go home and everything will be normal. The mindset then was quite different from the way it was uh, two weeks later when we were in the, on the ship. We rendezvoused with one of, one of the other princess ships who had only crew on board now, and we had made it to the Bahamas. And this was on April uh, 3, we, we made it, we rendezvoused with the Regal Princess, and they gave us the most wonderful welcome. The entertainment crew came out in a tender, and they had music blasting, and they had signs that said, welcome home, Coral Princess. And whether, I, I know they were doing it to make us feel better, and it was something that they wanted to do. And then everybody standing on their balconies, I think, had tears falling down their eyes because nobody wanted us at this point. And there was our sister ship saying, welcome home. You know, we're glad to see you. We had nobody had said they were glad to see us for, for a few weeks. And, and the uncertainty and the anxiety of what was going to happen was just at a very high level. There was another tender that was bringing over medical personnel. And um, we have got two doctors and, and a senior nurse came on board from that ship, along with a, a lot of medical supplies. <clears throat> we knew things were, were bad downstairs in the sick bay at this point. So that was on the 3rd of April. It was on the 4th of April, I believe, that the captain woke us up and said, it was on the 5th. On the 5th, he said, I have good news and bad news type of thing. The good news is Miami will let us in. The sad news is two people died overnight. And so in that one announcement, we went from absolute jubilation, here's our answer, we know what we're going to do, to, oh, no, 
and uh, Princess is part of Carnival Cruise Lines. So one of the Carnival ships pulled out of their berth so that we could come in. Then they started allowing people from Florida off the ship. The next day on the 5th, I think we were told to buy airline tickets for the 5th or the 6th. The 5th, we found out that there were two 747s heading over from London to Miami. To get those folks from the UK? That was never announced to be the case, but... My son's an airline pilot, and he did a little bit of checking. (laughs) He said, um, it appears that they're coming for those people. And all those people that had been holding my hand, so to speak, keeping me laughing, my friends from the UK were leaving. When they left on the the night of the 5th, I just, my heart kind of sank. I felt very alone, but I had an airline ticket for the next day. Granted, it was from Fort Lauderdale, and I wasn't knowing, I didn't know how I was going to get to Fort Lauderdale from the Miami port, but I knew Princess was going to take care of me. And then it was announced that the CDC had changed their rules overnight, and they weren't allowing any passengers from cruise ships to fly commercial. So everybody would have to go by charter plane. I believe that was on the night from the 4th to the 5th. I'm sorry, my timeline is, is a little mess, messed up there. I tried to recreate it, but uh, as I'm going through it, I'm getting, I'm doing a lot of flashbacks, and, and I'm feeling a lot of the, the same anxieties and sadness as I yeah. felt then. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine what would have been going through your head back then, particularly when your friends from the UK leave. Cause yeah, then- I, saw, I saw their plane take off, and... Uh, um, their pilot had done a <laughs> had done a wonderful thing for them. Now my son was able to watch what was happening, and he was texting me, you know, and he was able to watch through his whatever he does on the computer to see what airplanes are doing. They were supposed to go a different route, but the parent, but they came right over the ship. So apparently, the pilot said he was just going to do a flyby for them, <laughs> which. Um, Again, bring, brings tears right now. Uh, yeah. So um, I knew by this point, so it was the night before, going into the 5th, that the CDC had changed their rules, and we were going to have to do a charter plane home. And I just could not imagine how Princess could pull us off. Yeah, we were from all over, all over the world. How could this even happen? Those friends that I met the first day, they they cruise more than I do. They speculated that we were probably going to go back out to sea for 14 days until they figured this all out. And that's kind of what I was getting ready ready to do. I didn't know at this point that I had COVID. And so my mind, I'll have to say, was probably not at 100%. And we had been told to keep two days of clothing and and then to send our rest of our baggage down there because it had to go through a two-part disinfection. Then at the morning of the 6th, I received a call from downstairs. This is just like the next day, right? After they announced that they had to get charters. And they said, they asked me, which is closer to you, Cleveland or Newark? I live in New Hampshire. I, I could use a New Hampshire airport, Manchester, or I could use Boston, but neither is close. They said, we understand that. Just tell me which is closest. And I said, Newark, but it's four-hour drive. And they said, don't make any arrangements for anybody to pick you up. We'll we'll take care of that. And be ready in one hour. <laughs> wow. Wow. And um, at this point, I was also doing a lot of media 
interviews. And I was, one one station in particular in Miami, I had been feeding them video and news of what was going on. And I wanted to let them know out of courtesy that I was leaving in an hour. And he asked, would you mind getting a video of you leaving, <laughs> you know, of what you're going through as you're leaving? When I watch that video now that was that was on TV, it was really it's 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 very moving the way they put it together. But it wasn't until I started packing up everything and and letting my husband know I was coming home, letting my son know, I realized I was short of breath. Up until now, I hadn't really been eating because the food had been delivered for the past week. It had been put outside our door. Somebody would knock and then they'd run because we were not, we're not to see them. Cabin attendant would come and take a bag of our towels and deliver a new bag outside our door in a hazmat suit. So I did, I hadn't been doing a lot of movement. Then I we we had to wear our masks outside the cabin and it took me the longest time to open that door because I really thought I was in a safe place. I really thought that my cabin was the safest place in the world to be at that time. And now I was heading out into the big bad world. And that door was so heavy, I could not get it open. I mean, it was only heavy in my mind. It, of course, it had changed any in its weight physically. And I walked outside with great trepidation. And there was nobody in the halls. And I started just yelling by my cabin attendant's name. I wanted to say goodbye and give him another tip. He had been just so fantastic. And, and all the crew had been just absolutely amazing. Uh, they they saw all their friends. They saw their friends getting sick and they're dying and, and one thing or another. And, and yet they were working 24 hours a day to pick up the ends. And so I saw my cabin attendant. Uh, all He was all dressed in a hazmat suit. I, I bid my goodbye. And then we we had to go through a health check. Downstairs. It was the first time I had seen exes to keep six feet apart. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is serious. It was just such a twilight zone because cruise ship is always very active. And they were calling us down maybe 20 at a time. So the ship was empty. It was like going out onto a ship at, at four in the morning. You know, it was it was so bizarre. And in the health check, they asked me if, if I had been coughing was one of the questions. And I said, yes. And so a medical officer had come. They took my temperature. and There was no temperature and asked me a few other questions. And then I was given my um, uh, disembarkation clearance card. At this point, they had they had uh, buses waiting for us to take us under police escort to the airport, and they had shut down the highways. Nobody could get onto the highways as we passed through. So we got onto our 737. The airplane was out on the tarmac. We were not allowed in the terminal. They had set up a special uh, TSA screening for us, a temporary one, and we were to stand six feet apart. And then I was one of the first ones on the plane, and I, I picked a seat in a row thinking that everything was going to be six feet apart. You know, perhaps I'd have the row to myself. Well, no, they jammed that 737. Our first stop was Cleveland, and cars were meeting people. I was told also that I'd have a driver drive me from Newark to New Hampshire. But the cars were, were came right out onto the tarmac. They were driving people in either single or in couples. You know, they weren't mixing anybody. All these limousines just pulled up and town cars just pulled up onto the tarmac and people got in and off they went. Then we went on to Newark, and it was a similar situation. There were five people from New Hampshire, and we had three cars. The, the two couples went on individual cars, and then they had a car just for me. 
It wasn't until I got home that I realized I, I had no taste. And the fact that I didn't want to eat while I was on board in quarantine had more to do with the fact that something physical was going on as opposed to the food not being prepared properly, you know, food being right or stressed out. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and the other people that I talked to, they all said they didn't feel like eating either. Turns out that a good number of those on that on that airplane had COVID when we got on. I wrote to my the people sitting next to me who were from Canada, and I told them, I said, I just wanted to let you know that I've tested positive, and they said we have to. <laughs> so uh, we do know that you know, through conversations have continued on through this role call on Cruise Critic and, and mm-hmm. through other methods that we've been talking to. Other, we know of at least 12 people who have died. Wow. How awful. An awful lot who have been have been sick. And the number who have died could be much greater. I, I only have a partial lung because I had lung cancer. I've had two lung surgeries and my right lung is not, not complete. So I had heard about the ventilator as an uh, I said, if I ever get this, I'm I'm in trouble. And I didn't have any trouble, you know, with the breathing. And and I was just very tired and had no no taste. And, but I didn't have a temperature, so I said, well, it couldn't be that. This is all related to stress. But I was just I was just one of the fortunate ones. I actually, when the Department of Health called and and they checked up on me every day, I didn't feel ill. I'm just so grateful. I My mind was foggy. Again, I was just in my one room, so I wasn't taxing my lungs much. So if I was out of breath, it was it was minimal. So the exhaustion lasted for a while, but heck, you know, that's nothing, nothing compared to what people are going through. Well, we're glad that you turned out to have the sort of more mild case, Christine, and got lucky. Glad that you are with us and able to talk about the experience that you had. So I guess that brings us to the crazy question of, do you plan on cruising again? It doesn't sound like this has turned you off from cruising. It has not, because I know cruise lines, whichever cruise line it is, they want what is best for us and for their crew. And they're not going to take us out in a dangerous situation. Well, like I say, I've had 11 cruises canceled from between 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So it sounds like really your experienced with Princess was really positive in the sense that they did whatever they could for you guys and that they tried really hard to get you disembarked at a bunch of other ports before you ended up obviously landing in in Miami and that they took care of making sure everybody got home safely that could. Absolutely. I I will say that I'm a retired travel agent, so I have a bit of an idea of what they had to go through at different ports and and when things were canceled and what they had to do to a scramble to to get us onto the charter planes. And my opinion of how Princess handled it is perhaps not shared by everybody. I know a lot of people who were disappointed. I, I don't know what they can point to myself because there was so much that was out of their control. To to your point at the very beginning of the show, I mean, as you think about as you're boarding the cruise ship, this seemed like a fairly isolated thing. Wash your hands. It's not going to be a big deal in the U.S., right? Like that's kind of the message that we were hearing. And so I can only imagine, you know, the cruise lines, we were all caught off guard. (laughs) So they're doing the best they can in what is a just one of the most difficult situations we've ever faced, you know, as a global community, much less in the United States. You know, there's no playbook for this. 
No, what, no matter what industry you're talking about, and there are an awful lot who say they shouldn't have let that ship go. They should have. They should have told us what was going on. Well. If they didn't think it was safe to go, they would not have gone. They wouldn't have willingly put them and their crew and us through this danger. If you think about, I don't know, if you think about corporations from a sense of being, you know, evil and all about the bottom line, well, guess what? Princess didn't make any money off of those cruises. No. I mean, they lost plenty of money. That's what a lot of people were saying. They said, oh, they didn't want to cancel it because they'd lose all that money. And it Exactly. Just as you point out, Sam, they spent a fortune. I have a friend uh, that I met on the ship, a couple from Alaska. They had to charter a Learjet from Florida to Alaska, or maybe they took a charter to California, but then they had their own Learjet just for the two of them to Alaska. They spent millions and millions to get us home. Right. Well, and in and in the end, it ended up shutting down the industry for months, right? If they hadn't had these things happen, who knows where we would be right now with the CDC. Well, Christine, it sounds like you're going to be sailing again. I have sort of one question to ask to sort of wrap up this section of the show, which is just based on your experience, and maybe it's kind of a two-part question, what's going to make you feel safe and ready to cruise again? And two, has your experience altered how you think about or plan for your next cruise? I have to say my answer today is different than it would have been uh, a month or two ago. And I am more cautious today because of the spikes that are going on before the Christmas holiday between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I probably am waiting for a vaccine. I have a feeling that cruising will not happen until the vaccine is widely distributed. And it's also my belief, my personal belief, and and by talking to some others who have the same belief, that they will ask us for proof of our vaccine before we're allowed to embark on a ship. When I got off the Carl and the longer cruises were being canceled, actually everything was being canceled, I said what I wanted to do was stick close to home. So I booked this cruise that goes down the East Coast and the Bahamas, and it's an eight night, and I thought, this is a safe way to get back to cruising. And certainly by March, we'll be able to do this. <laughs> now booking maybe a year in advance, right? I thought I was being very cautious. And by booking way out in March, I thought, well, we can get into any of these ports and we're going to be near the U.S. So I'm not going to be stuck like I was in South America, you know, far away from home, we'll be able to pull into any of these U.S. ports. So I, I don't know if I'm actually planning consciously to take a small ship versus a large ship because I rarely go on a ship that's larger than 3,000 people. So I'm pretty much staying in that mid-sized category anyway. I'm not, I don't know whether it's safer to go on one of these mega ships that has 5,000 passengers and then they only book it to 25 <laughs> and you're able to have all this extra room. I, I don't know that. So that's where I'm at. So let's, we're going to move on to the last part of our show, which is what we call rapid fire. And this is sort of the lighthearted part of the show. Uh-huh. And this is where we just ask you what your favorites are. And we don't even need an explanation because these are your personal favorites and there's really no rules. So my first question is, because we're a Disney travel themed podcast, what's your favorite Disney character? Piglet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what What about a favorite Disney movie? Well, I have to say Winnie the Pooh then, don't I? <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to. There are no rules in this round. Rule, but, <laughs> but, but, yeah. 
that would be it. I love Eeyore and, and also. <laughs> yeah, they're great, great characters. Uh, your favorite cruise line? Can I use a river cruise? <laughs> sure, uh, sure. Ama Waterways. Nice. Your favorite ship? Now, this doesn't have to be even an Ama ship. It could be one of the other ships you've been on. What's your favorite ship? Crown Princess. What's a favorite onboard dining experience? Again, it could be on any ship, any cruise line you've been on, but you just had an amazing dining experience. I haven't had that yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe. I mean, they've all been amazing. I haven't, I, I, I can't say that one stands out. Well, you know, we, we think a lot of the time about like these specialty restaurants that some of the ships have. And um, we've also heard that Viking and Ama, we've heard the food on, on those is spectacular. It so. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've heard much better, better reviews of that than of the larger. Um, oh, definitely. It's a whole different thing. I was on Ama Waterways and on the Mekong in China in October before the pandemic. And uh, that was probably, I'll have to say, that was a, that was probably the best dining experience ever. Favorite onboard activity. So when you're on a ship, what's a fa- your favorite thing to do? Are you a bingo player? Trivia? Trivia. Trivia. Nice. Favorite port? I think Flom, Norway. Favorite itinerary that you've done? Norwegian fjords, a two week during, it was called the midnight sun. It was during the summer solstice and we went up to the Arctic circle and had three days of no darkness. <laughs> okay. My final question of rapid fire is what is your bucket list cruise? So if you had to pick one cruise to do that you haven't done yet, that you feel like you, you must do at some point, what is that bucket list cruise? World cruise. Yeah. I kind of felt like I kind of knew you were going to say that just given, given all of the cruising that you've already done and the stuff that you have yet to do, that, that seems to make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it's, it's on the list. Well, Christine, it has been a real pleasure having you on the show. And I just really want to thank you for sharing your story. I know it stirred up some memories that, you know, are a little bit emotional. Glad we could end the show with something a little bit fun and lighthearted to hopefully put you back in a better mood for the rest of your day. But I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Thank you very much for having me and for telling my story. I appreciate it, Sam and Brian. appreciated Christine coming on our show this week and sharing her story. I think it's a really powerful story, really interesting story to be one of those passengers on board, one of the last ships that was sailing pre-COVID shutdown. So really glad we could bring you her story. If you're interested in hearing or learning more about her story, you can do so through Paul Thornton's book, Cruising Interrupted. Christine is one of the featured stories in that book, and we found Christine through Paul. So head over to Paul's website. And remember, if you use the code, we will be back. Once the paperback is available, you'll get a discount on the paperback version of Cruising Interrupted. We love Paul's books, and so we hope you will check it out. With that, I do just want to, as always, thank each and every one of you for listening this week. We really do love our listeners, and so thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also do leave us those five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts. Those five-star written reviews are really important in making our content more visible to people who might be looking for a show like ours. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also 
also join our DCL Duo vlog and podcast Facebook group if you would like to interact with some other DCL Duo fans and like-minded cruisers like yourself. And we also have our DCL Duo YouTube channel where you can head for even more great content. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney Family of Theme Parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night, and a happy new year. Oh, 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 oh